All right, all right. Faith Promise, who's excited to be at church this weekend? Hope you are thrilled. Oh, man, I, I hope even more than that you're excited about what God is doing uh, through you and through your church. We're seeing life change in people. We're seeing life change in family, and we don't deserve the credit. Faith Promise does deserve the credit. But, God, can we give God the best amen today? Thank you, God, for everything you're doing. Thank you, Jesus. We want to welcome you to Faith Promise, all of our campuses, if you're live, if you're online, God behind bars, if you're watching later, we are thrilled about what God is doing in and through you. And I pray that this challenge towards unity has been impacting you like it's been impacting me. It sent me searching and craving, not just for knowledge, but for something more, for obedience and again, as we talked about the host, if you missed last weekend, Pastor Jimmy did an amazing job. I want to encourage you to go and check that out. It was so good, so helpful uh, for our church. And so, hey, uh, we talked about the, the newsletter that comes out. There'll be a QR code for you to subscribe to that. But there, there's something, we actually did a podcast with Pastor Jimmy uh, that me and Rachel did that's so powerful. It'll drop this week. So I want to encourage you to watch that, get that. Let us be a part of equipping you to win your world. Now, today we're going to get really practical, right? And we're going to hear God say some things, and I pray that we obey those things. But I want to start with something we talk about every week, and I pray that it's not white noise. Every week you hear about next steps. But let me ask you some questions. Are you winning your world? Have you discovered your purpose? Are you helping your friends, your family, your spouse, your kids discover their purpose? Do you know how to do that? What is your plan to not just walk out your purpose, to help other people do the same? We have a tool that we've created here that I'm so excited to show you. So let me show you something that we desperately want you to have, something that we want to put in your hands. And we're going to put it on the screen so you can see it well. But they get these, this is called the culture deck, the culture cards. And they give you kingdom-minded handles for you to live out our values. So again, these are what we call culture cards, right? And so at Faith Promise, we have these values that help us live out our culture, win your world. Uh, this, is, this is out of order. I've got it out of order, right? So love God, love people, discover purpose, and win your world. We have these values to help you walk them out. But, hey, these values aren't easy. Are they? If they were easy, then everybody would do it. So what we want to do is we wanted to put handles to help you lift these values, but also to help you hand them to others. So let's look at this month. So right now, 17 through, through uh, yeah, yeah, 17 through 20 is where we're at. And so this last week for love people was pursue purpose. So we go through them pretty much once a month, every four weeks. So love God. We don't hold back our worship. We pursue people, we love people, that's the value, discover purpose, we never stop learning, and then win your world. But here's a dream that I have, 
is that every four weeks, as people get to the win your world value, is that people would share their faith. And so the handle for this one that's coming up in two weeks, we bring the kingdom into our world, right? You'll go to that QR code. Actually, let's look specifically. Uh, because this last week was 18. We pursue people. So you're actually going to see on the QR code what, go, what you would get every week. And it's going to have scripture on there. It's going to have, uh, it's going to have a, a video, a lesson from somebody on team. It's going to have worship on there. It's going to have something for you to develop your kids or your students. It'll have podcasts. It'll have stuff just to hand you to equip you to win your world. And again, we just do this because we believe in you. We believe that we know that biblically. The, what God has given for us to win the world are men and women on mission. So, hey, if you have a set of these cards, raise your hand. All right. That's not always. If you don't have those cards, the way you get those is by going to the next steps. So you go to next steps and you discover the purpose of our church, but also your personal purpose. So come have dinner with us starting tonight. We have child care. It is our passion to help you walk in your purpose. And listen, I'm not just inviting you to join the purpose of a church. I'm inviting you to discover your purpose, what God has created you for. Because we believe that together we can win the world. By equipping Christ followers, you and I, to win our world, starting with 1% of Tennessee, starting with 70,000 people. I don't know about you, but that gets me excited. Anybody excited for what God's called us to do, what he lets us be a part? It's exciting. It's exciting. So let's pray together. Today, let's be obedient together. Today, together, let's ask God to transform our lives. God, we come before you. I just want to take a moment. And ask that you would speak to us personally. God, as we go into unity, and we don't worry about the world. We don't look outward. We don't think about what somebody else said about us. We look inward. Obedience has to start with your church, with your people. So Holy Spirit, I pray that today we leave transformed. This wouldn't just be a a nice church service, but this would be a transformative time where we are propelled to winning our world and being kingdom-minded. It's your time. This is your church. These are your people in your precious, and we pray. Amen. Amen. So, hey, as we wrap up this month of unity together, let me challenge you this weekend to not look outward. We're not going to worry about outward. Instead, we are going to look inward. Because we believe that unity begins with you and I. Unity starts with you and I. There's no question that our world is more offended and more offendable than ever before. And listen, it's easy to do. It's easy for us to do. Offense is attractive. Offense is acceptable. I would say offense is even addictive. Right? Offense gets more attention on social media. It gets more attention from people around us. And here's the big one. It gets more attention from our thoughts. I'm about to put a little, a little blurb on the screen, and this is a game changer. Some of us need to just take this away. We naturally dwell on the wrongs done to us and not the wrongs done through us. It'd be a game changer if we just, if we just change that part of how we think. 
which actually begs the question, whose attention are we looking for? Let's take a moment and think about it. Think about your thoughts. Think about your actions. Think about what offends you. Right? Think about that for a minute. Think about your offenses. Whose attention are you and I seeking? Whose ears, whose eyes, whose hearts matter the most to you and I? If you're a Christ follower, when you made Jesus the Lord of your life, we committed that he would get all of you and I, including our attention. Now listen, if you're not a Christ follower yet, we believe there's a better, more fulfilling way to live. A way with more purpose to place your attention on. And listen, someone that you can go to with every offense, no matter what has happened to you, you will be heard by a God who loves you so much. Now, together, I want to look really closely at a challenging verse written by Peter. Now, Peter was one of Jesus' best friends, one of his dearest friends. And Peter was one of the few disciples to stick around by Jesus during his trial with the high priest. When he was arrested in the garden, most people ran. But Peter actually stayed close, right, to see what happened. He actually saw Jesus on trial. Now, this is huge because Peter would have saw all the offenses that Jesus endured during his life, but especially right here on trial. Now, look what Peter remembers. In 1 Peter 2.23, it says, when they hurled their insults at him, that's Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus trusted himself to God. Now, just to bring some context, when Peter writes that Jesus was insulted and Jesus suffered... Before you and I dive into how Jesus responded, let's remember some context on what that means, right? When it says that Jesus was insulted, when it says that Jesus was insulted, let's look at what that means. Let's just see that for a second. What, what they did is they told Jesus that he was a liar. They told Jesus that he was from a broken home. They told Jesus that his friends were idiots. They told Jesus that his life work was worth nothing. They told Jesus that, hey, everything that you're giving yourself for, you're wasting your life. And this is just some of what we know they said about him. And you and I both know there was more said, but you and I both know there was more said about him that wasn't said to him. Yet, he lived different. That's what it says whenever they hurled insults. What about when he suffered? Listen, think about his suffering. Just in the moments before his crucifixion, they pulled his beard out. They, they would blindfold him and they spit in his face. They whipped his back until there was no skin left. They mocked him. They put a purple robe on his back because he said that he was the king of the Jews. They pushed a crown of thorn all the way down on his head. They publicly stripped him naked and played games for his clothes while he breathed his last to offer you and I salvation. That's what it means when Peter says he suffered. Yet did Jesus live offended? Listen, I'm, I'm not trying to minimize 
any offense that you and I have endured. In fact, if anything, you and I need to know that Jesus understands our pain, that he understands our shame, that he understands our humiliation, he understands our suffering. No one understands it like Jesus because Jesus chose it so that he could empathize with us. Actually, just to get this in our hearts, I want us to read this scripture all together, but consider the pain, consider the shame, consider the suffering. So in 1 Peter 2, 23, let's look at this together, and then let's just read this together. Come on. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the whom, whom judges justly. Listen, Jesus was offended but did not live offended. He didn't retaliate. He didn't make threats. Does that sound like you and I? Does that sound like how you and I live? Or do you and I make public threats? Do you and I make passive-aggressive comments? Do you and I retaliate? Do we turn our offense into hate in our hearts? Because that's not what our king did. That's not how he responded. Now, before we say, oh, that's Jesus. I'm not Jesus. I want to go back two verses as Peter is writing to the first Christians and to you and I that are still listening today, and let's look at how Peter said, what Peter said before he showed us what Jesus did. In 1 Peter 2, 21, it says this, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you as an example that you should follow in his steps. It says that Christ left this as an example for us so that we should follow in his steps. Listen, you and I, we've all been hurt. You and I, we've all been offended. And listen, it's not okay. I'm not saying it's okay that you get treated bad. But listen, what you and I do after the hurt, after the offense, that's what matters most. That is what God cares about. Well, Pastor Zach, you don't, you don't understand what they did to me. You're totally right. I don't understand. But Jesus does. And this is why Peter, Peter didn't say follow him. Peter didn't say follow your pastor. Peter said, follow Jesus and his example. Peter challenges you and I to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. The footsteps that will lead us out of a place of offense and into a place of freedom. So it begs the question, how can you and I live in freedom of not being offended and focus on what matters most? What God cares the most about? And Peter already told us, let me read the scripture again just so it gets down in our hearts. In 1 Peter 2, 23, when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. That's, that's, what, that's what he said he did. Now, Peter saw Jesus entrust himself, trust all of himself to him who judges justly. Now, you may say, well, what does that mean? Who is the judge, right? Will you and I get to testify 
Will you and I get to tell our side of the story? Will you and I get to be a part of the jury? Will you and I get to see the verdict? Will we get to do that? And can I just say there, there's too much to cover that is, is in 1 Peter chapter 2. I want to encourage you, read that in your quiet time this week and let the Holy Spirit, ask the Holy Spirit to equip you in these seasons. But Peter makes it clear that Jesus the Son entrusted himself to God the Father who judges justly. With all of himself and with everything that happened to him. But there's two things that I want to point out that we see Jesus trust God with, that I want to challenge myself and you to trust God with. The first thing that we need to trust God with is our self-worth. Only God can judge your worth. Let me say it again. Only God can judge your worth. If you are a child of God, then the world does not set your worth. Only God gets to do that. To be honest, a big part of why we get offended, a big part of our offenses come when people attack our worth and we feel like we have to defend it. But when we follow the judgments of Jesus, we see that Jesus only trusted his worth to God. Jesus only trusted God's outlook on his worth, not the insults. Not the sufferings, not the doubts, not the threats of this world. He only trusted what God said about him. And then Peter, as he watched Jesus, challenges us to follow Jesus' example. We follow Jesus and trust God with our worth. Listen, when you do that, there's nothing the world. Listen, there's nothing the world can do to attack your worth. Because you know what you do? If I don't want my kids to touch something, I just put it on a tall shelf. They're tiny right now. Now, Valor's an animal. He may climb up there, but that's okay, right? I put it on a top shelf. Well, how about we take our worth off the floor where social media and where your boss and your girlfriend, all these people get to touch it, and why don't we put it up in heavenly places where only God gets a hold of it? You know what I'm saying? If I could just remind you, well, what does God say about me? What's God say my worth is? Well, I don't know if you know this. In 1 Corinthians 6.20, God says that you were bought with a price, right? So actually, he says you are not your own. You don't get to think whatever you want about yourself. He says you were bought with a price. So even if it's you causing you offense, biblically, that's not allowed. And you know what? Something is worth what someone is willing to pay for it. Like some of you guys, you would save up all year for a Disney trip. I wouldn't pay the lint in this pocket for a Disney trip. Now, if Rachel says, if it's worth it to Rachel, we're, we're, we're going, baby. But hey, listen, something is only worth what somebody's willing to pay for it. You, this is not my opinion. I don't, I'm not saying, hey, you're a special boy or a special girl. I'm telling you that God made you. Psalm 139, since the foundation of the world, he looked at you. He knew the terrible thoughts you'd think, the terrible decisions you'd make. And he said, you know what, Jesus, I want you to die for them. I want you to die for them so they can have an eternal relationship. That was the price paid for you. So I don't know what you think you're worth, but Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, think you are treasure. Just get, get this. If we, could, whew, if we could get this. God paid more for you than anyone else ever could because he values you more 
than anyone else ever could. When you choose to take your offense out of God's hands and put it in your own hands or in the hands of others, what does that mean we are saying about God? When you and I choose offense, aren't we saying that we trust ourselves or others more than God? Listen, in just a minute, we're going to respond. In a minute, we're, maybe you need to repent, maybe you need to ask for forgiveness, whatever it might be. But before we do that, can I ask you, who are you trusting with your worth? Who are you entrusting with your worth? If your worth is in someone else's hands, including your own, listen, there's no one I trust less with my worth than me. There's people that don't like me. There's people who say bad things about me. But there's no one, no one who has said worse things about me more consistently than me. It, what God has said about, what, what God's plans are too great for me to hold in my hand. Listen, let, let me give you the other thing, because I, I, I want to make sure that we get a chance to respond. The other thing that God wants us to trust Him with, something that Jesus trusted God with that we have to as well is our priorities. Only God can judge your priorities. Once you realize that your life is about the kingdom of God, everything else just matters less. Listen, I remember when I used to play football, and in football, it's, it's a bunch of testosterone-driven boys and men. There's cheap shots, right? People put their eyes up in your face mask. People, they, they hit you, right? And it was much easier for me to overlook cheap shots when I remembered the end goal, the end goal of winning the game. Now, listen, it's a little bit harder in life, right, because there's cheap shots in life, and they're still hurt, and they're unfair, and they are not right. That shouldn't happen. But when you and I remember that our priority is winning the world, when you and I keep in mind our kingdom-minded goal, our focus on winning in the end, it makes it easier. We see Jesus do this. Jesus, again, our example. In Hebrews 12, one through three. Listen to what it says. It says, let us run this race with, marked out for us with endurance. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the perfecter, the example of our faith. Listen, this is huge. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He had the cross right here. And like he said, asphyxiation, beatings, stripped naked, crazy. What would make him do that? Because right here, there was a joy that made this worth it. And that joy was to offer us salvation. So he said, scorning that shame, he pressed on. So the Bible tells us, consider him who endured that opposition from sinners so that we do not grow weary in our heart. Jesus got offended but he never lived offended. Listen, he endured suffering and the offense of the cross for the joy of offering us salvation. Are you and I willing to live this way? Are you and I willing to endure anything for the joy for the joy of carrying people to the cross, carrying people to Jesus, to a love that they can't experience anywhere else. 
Listen, your hands are only so big. There's only so many things that you can carry. So what matters to you? Whenever, does it ever occur when you're planning your week, when you're thinking about what you have to accomplish, does the eternal scoreboard ever come up? The population of heaven and the population of hell. I've just been praying the Holy Spirit would just, would just transform us in this time around our worth and around our priorities, that we would give them to God, that we wouldn't be offended by this world, but we would give them to God. As you and I prepare to respond, you may ask, is it really that big of a deal that I get offended? Is it really that big of a deal for me to pick up myself? Or, hey, for some of us who, like, really value justice, you may think, well, is it that big of a deal for me to pick up my offense or the offense of others? Well, there is a crystal clear example in Jesus' life. And actually, it's with that guy named Peter. We see it in the book of Matthew. Now, hey, it's about to get real, okay? So if you need to act like you're on social media or something to ignore this, if you want to be convicted, this is the time, okay? Just, just to let you know. It says this in verse 21. Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, the teachers uh, of the law, and that he must be killed on the third day that he would raise to life. Now, this is important that he would raise to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. He said, never, Lord. Now, here's what happened. Peter picked up Jesus' offense. But can we be honest? Peter picked up his own offense too. Peter's not an idiot. If they kill Jesus, Peter's been running his mouth for three and a half years. He's up next, right? So Peter realized, oh, 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 well, if they kill you, Jesus, if they kill you, no, no, they can't do that. They're not going to kill me, right? How good are we? How good are we at making everything about us? But listen to what he says. Listen, listen to Jesus' response. Here's what Jesus said. I love you. This is what Jesus said, not me. Jesus looked at Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. So it's very clear. Jesus didn't say, oh, if you're not on my side, then you're just like a nominal churchgoer and you just get to, it's fine. Jesus said, hey, you just, you just shifted from my squad to Satan's squad. And listen, this, this, I, this is, I know this is deep. But what Jesus said to Peter is whenever you dropped the kingdom and you picked up offenses, he said, you are a hindrance to me. I don't know about you. I don't want to find myself as a hindrance to the Lord. Because he tells Peter, you are now concerned about the things of man. I don't know about you. I find myself frequently concerned about the things of man. And what did Jesus say about that? Get behind me, Satan. I think it's time for us to stop worrying about everybody else and start asking, where are you and I choosing not to be soft at heart? Hard-skinned, soft heart. Hard-skinned, say what you want about me. Lie about me, cheat about me. I don't... My heart is so soft for God in His kingdom. Can I tell you, growing into being your pastor, it's not been easy. People say more stuff about me and my family 
and the, 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 the stress and the pressure of feeling responsible. And I've always had tough skin because you can't grow up at dad's house without tough skin. But I've always had a soft heart. But I realized lately I'm just letting my heart get a little hard. And it just, it just doesn't honor the Lord. And people have said, hey, man, you're justified. That was unfair. It's hard. But biblically, I'm not justified doing that. So we're going to respond together. And here's what I want. Will you just close your eyes with me? I'm going to pray. Holy Spirit, right now across all of our campuses online, GBB, would you bring to our heart and our mind the offenses that we're still carrying towards other people, towards a group of people, God, for a lot of us, towards ourselves. And God, would you give us the boldness during this next bit of worship to lay it down, to come up and receive prayer, to go to the cross and just write it on a sticky note and leave it at the cross where Jesus, you paid for it, where we get to rise above worldly offenses and live kingdom-minded. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we live for. God, let us not leave today with any offenses. In your name we pray. Amen.